Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I've never told this story to anyone. I'm only opening up about it now because I want this to serve as a cautionary tale. I don't want any of you to suffer the way I have. My family moved to New Orleans when I was nine years old. My parents purchased a small two-bedroom home that barely fit the four of us. My younger brother and I were supposed to share one bedroom, but I wouldn't have it. I wanted my own space. I think I wanted to make things difficult for mom and dad after they made me leave all my friends in Davenport. After I refused the shared bedroom, dad set up a little space for me to sleep in the attic. He did it as a sarcastic, albeit elaborate, joke, but I took him seriously. To my parents' bewilderment, I loved my little attic bedroom. It had just enough space for my twin bed, and I could keep my clothes in bins beneath the bed. It had no windows and only one small light bulb, but I didn't think I would be up there for much besides sleeping anyway. Now, before you go judging my parents for letting one of their kids sleep in a dark, musty attic, I need you to understand how difficult I made it for them to argue with me. They did actually offer to buy a pull-out couch so I could sleep in the living room, but I told them I would keep sleeping in the attic even if they did. I made such a fuss about being allowed to stay in the attic that I felt I couldn't complain or change my mind. Not even after I started hearing something scratching under the floorboards. The first time I heard the sound, I was changing into my PJs. They were in their own bin under my bed. I dragged the bin out, and as soon as I opened it, something perfectly mimicked the scraping sound the bin had made. The echo sounded muffled, as if it had come from downstairs. I thought my little brother might be fooling with me, so I went downstairs to check. I found all three of my family members watching TV on the couch. Care to join? My dad asked, gesturing to an open spot on the couch. I just shook my head and climbed the ladder back into the attic. The PJ bin was exactly where I'd left it. I picked up where I'd left off, opening the bin, choosing some soft green pajamas, and pushing the bin back under the bed. Again, the sound repeated back to me. I felt curious, but a tense rush of chills ran up my back before I could investigate further. If I'd had any hair on my arms back then, it probably would have stood on end like a cat's. As I mentioned before, I didn't say anything to my parents out of pride. I did, however, join them in the living room for a little while that night. Days would go by without a sound, sometimes weeks, but the scratching always returned one night or another. The worst were the long, slow scrapes that woke me from sleep. I often found I couldn't move when that happened. One moment, I'd be dreaming about school or the ocean, and the next I'd be jolted awake by that muted sandpaper sound. It always started under my bed and moved deliberately outward. The grating noise would stop just at the edge of my bed, then zip back underneath, and I'd be able to move again. 
Remember, I told you there were no windows in the attic. I would turn off the only light, that one small light bulb, before I got into bed each night. I liked sleeping in the dark. But that stopped once I started hearing the noises more frequently. They started coming just about every night. There were no outlets in the attic, so a traditional nightlight was out of the question. I stole a small flashlight and a handful of batteries from the kitchen instead. The first night I tested the light, I found it far too bright for me to sleep with. I woke the next morning feeling groggy and miserable. At school that day, I snuck a couple pieces of orange construction paper into my backpack and took them home. With scissors and tape, I improvised a filter for the flashlight, dulling it and changing its color from fluorescent white to a very pleasant orange. The filter proved to be quite effective, and I had no trouble sleeping the following night. I was lucky the noises didn't wake me up. I needed sleep more than usual that night. The flashlight restored some of my confidence and returned the feeling of safety I used to feel in the attic. It had one shortcoming, though. The batteries could die at any given moment. I learned this terrifying lesson the hard way. I was having a strange dream that I still remember to this day, although now I may have a better understanding of what it meant than I did back then. In the dream, there was no light. That alone created a strange sensation. When you dream in pitch black, it can take some time to even recognize you are in a dream at all. I recall suddenly realizing I could feel and move my limbs, but when I tried to, something blocked them. No matter where I touched, kicked, or pushed, something hard was in the way. I was trapped in pitch darkness, only able to move a few inches at a time. Panicked claustrophobia weighed on my chest like a boulder. On top of my inability to move, I felt I couldn't breathe. A white vignette started filling my vision. I was sure it would completely take over my sight, but then I woke up. The dream hadn't woken me up. A long, drawn-out scrape had. I opened my eyes to find my waking situation very similar to the one in my dream. The flashlight's batteries had died, and I couldn't move. I waited like that, silent and unmoving. When I had woken up frozen before, it had only lasted a few seconds. As I waited for control to return to my limbs, I listened. I noticed a sound I wasn't used to hearing had filled the air. It had a subtle, pulsing quality. Breathing. Now I didn't want to move even if I could have. Who or what was in the attic with me? Had one of my parents come to check on me? No. The breaths were too long, too deep to be my mom or dad and the sound didn't seem to come from one specific place. Rather, it came from every corner of the attic at once. I couldn't take it anymore. I had reached the point where the suspense had become more painful than whatever else might happen. I quietly whispered, Who's there? The breathing stopped, and a second harsh scrape sounded. This time it ended under my bed. I discovered I could move again and jumped out of bed, landing as far from where that sound ended as possible. I ran across the attic, grabbed the flashlight, and hit the switch, even though the batteries were most likely dead. But I was wrong. There was nothing wrong with the batteries at all. The flashlight had been switched off by someone. I questioned my parents about this the next morning. 
I had to know if one of them had come up and turned off the flashlight in the middle of the night. Didn't even know you had a flashlight up there, kiddo, my dad replied. Me either. You didn't take the good one, did you? Mom asked. I told her no, I had taken the cheap one from the kitchen. Well, there's your problem, Dad said, chuckling. That piece of crap doesn't work half the time. No, Dad, the switch was turned off while I was sleeping, I insisted. It didn't just go out, it was turned off. Sounds like a mystery, kiddo, Dad said. He didn't sound remotely curious about the so-called mystery, though. I started sleeping with the flashlight next to my pillow where no one would touch it without me, hopefully, noticing. I liked the comfort of having it within reach, especially when a chorus of scrapes woke me up a week later. It sounded like a dog scrambling across slick ice, chaotic and desperate. The noises ended with a solid thud. I grabbed the flashlight, not even realizing it had been turned off again, and flashed it around. For a moment, probably less than a second, I'm sure I saw a shadow cast on the opposite wall. Whatever had cast it was tall and standing right in front of me. It was gone too fast for me to make out any more detail. But to this day, I'd bet my life I saw it there. The shadow's disappearance coincided with another scrape that followed the usual track under my bed. I never fell back asleep that night. Although I was only nine years old, I had enough good sense to realize whatever had been happening in the attic was escalating. My growing fear and the increasing intensity of the happenings drove me to action. Since I was still awake at five in the morning, and it happened to be a Sunday, I snuck down the ladder, past my sleeping parents and brother's rooms, and out to the garage. I found my dad's biggest flathead screwdriver and returned to the attic. This time, I stopped on the way to grab the large flashlight my mom kept in the coat closet. The good one, as she called it. The good one made the whole attic glow. With the rest of the room fully illuminated, I used my other flashlight to look under the bed. I checked under the clothes bins for scratch marks, grooves, or any evidence of the sounds I heard at night. Everything looked perfectly normal. I had one more place to check, and it was why I brought the screwdriver up with me. I jammed the screwdriver between two of the wide floorboards and used it as a lever. To my complete surprise, the board came up with little resistance. I had expected a struggle. Honestly, I hadn't been certain I'd be able to lift the board at all, but the single nail holding it down slid out of its hole with ease, and I managed to get my fingers underneath to lift the board. I examined the space under the floor with my flashlight. I saw them right away. Gouges of various depths scattered all across the wood underneath. I checked the bottom of the floorboard and found more scrapes there, too. With a confused mixture of satisfaction and fear, I tried to pry out another board. This one wouldn't give, though. I gave up quickly and tried the board on the other side of the one I had already lifted. It came up easily. I found a continuation of the scratches beneath that one. I knew the scrapes couldn't have come from an animal because they were all perfectly straight and nearly uniform. They reminded me of the tracks my sliding door had made in our old house. The door hadn't been properly mounted and occasionally dragged on the floor. The marks underneath the attic floor had a similar depth and pattern to them, wood on wood. I pulled out all the bins from under my bed and crawled under it. Then, following the gouges, I pulled up two more boards underneath my bed. 
When I pushed away the second board, I grabbed the flashlight and shone it down. That's when I finally found it. The box. Just a simple wooden box with a star carved roughly into the top. In the center of the star, I saw a small keyhole. Curiously, I pushed the box forward, out from under the bed. It scraped across the wooden boards around it, producing the exact sound that had been waking me up. I wondered if and how the box had been moving on its own below the floor. And then I wondered why. I searched the place the box had been hidden for a key, but didn't find it. I thought about pulling up more boards, but my anxious curiosity got the better of me. Instead, I placed my knees on the box and shoved the screwdriver's head through the keyhole. I leaned against the screwdriver, putting all my weight into the lever. I could hear the wood straining against me. Finally, with a sharp crack, the box split open, and I was thrown back against the bed. As I fell to the floor, I heard two shattering pops and the room went black. Something slammed near the other side of the attic. The door. I was trapped in the darkness, unable to see what was in the box I had just opened. The first scream I heard belonged to my mom. Her shrill voice was quickly joined by my dad's. Something slammed into the floor beneath me, or rather the ceiling below me. I heard a door slam too. Now my little brother's voice joined the cacophony. What's happening? I heard him cry. Soon there were noises coming from the kitchen. They were loud enough to reach me in the attic. It sounded like pots and pans being thrown against walls. The metallic bangs were occasionally joined by shattering glass. I crawled on all fours toward the attic door. As I crawled, I heard my dad's voice shouting my name. When I found the door, I started banging on it and shouting, I'm here, dad, I'm up here. I heard a click and the scuttle door dropped open. I almost fell through it. Come on, son, we need to get out of here, he said. What's happening? I asked. I could still hear my brother screaming the same question as mom carried him down the hall. I don't know, dad replied. He sounded terrified. A porcelain mug flew through the air and struck him in the back of the head. He grunted and stumbled, but quickly recovered and reached up for me. We need to go now, he shouted. I dropped down into his arms. He set me down and we followed my mom and brother down the hall. As we passed the kitchen, it looked like everything from the cupboards and cabinets had been chucked across the room. Broken glass and fragments of wood lay all over the floor and counters. The sink was on, and so was the stove. The living room was in similar disarray. The couch and chairs had been flipped, the bookshelves knocked over. All the books were scattered around the floor and a few loose pages lay among them. Whatever I had let out of that box made quick work of destroying our home. We all ran into the yard in our pajamas. Call someone, my mom demanded of my dad. Who? he asked. I don't know, the police, someone, mom begged. The call ended up being to the fire department. Shortly after my mom had told my dad to call 911, flames started licking the windows. By the time we heard the first sirens, the whole first floor had gone up in flames. You'll be happy to know that once we moved back to Davenport, everything was fine again. Whatever I'd let out of that box didn't follow us. I later learned that mom had been terrified it would. When I was at school, she would regularly have a spiritualist smudge and bless the house. If I had known all of that, I might have let her in on the secret I'd been keeping since the day of the fire. 
since I didn't know. I kept it to myself all these years. Today, I'm sharing the secret for the first time. As I mentioned at the beginning of this story, I hope it serves as a warning. See, I knew that thing wasn't going to follow us. I knew it would leave us alone. As the firefighters were hurriedly putting out the flames, I had heard the same breathing I'd heard in the attic. It came from behind me. When I turned, I didn't see anyone there, but I heard him. With a deep, somber voice, he told me, You have set me free, child. I don't know how to explain it, but I could sense a level of gratitude in the thing's voice. With fire, he had destroyed the place he had been trapped, ensuring he could never be trapped there again. But I knew he had no interest in harming me. Why would he? I had set him free. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening.